put this on the uh, website a couple of weeks ago. I make my apology. I got the dates wrong. My books are now unpacked. <laughs> so I could read up. It was not written AD 70. It was written AD 90 approximately. It's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. The same John who wrote Revelation. And um, he's writing as an old man. He must be, I would imagine, um, he was, tradition says he was one of the youngest disciples when he was following Jesus, probably a teenager, um, when he was one of the twelve. I don't know if you ever realised that. Maybe you always viewed them as old men. Um, so that was around AD, around AD 30. So then he's probably in his 80s at this point, something like that, 70s or 80s. And he's writing to a church that's been blessed by certain preachers who travel around. Now, there are still preachers today that travel around, aren't there? Craig Marsh being an example. Preachers that aren't necessarily spending a lot of time in a home base, but they're moving to and fro. Well, in these days, there was loads of preachers like that. And some of them were a blessing. Others of them were trouble. Should I not move there? Is that a bad spot? I should move forward or I shouldn't? Okay. Some of these teachers were teaching heresy. They were teaching things about Jesus that were totally wrong, about salvation, and they were beginning to mislead the church. So John, with his father or grandfatherly affections, thinks I'm going to write to this church to just straighten them out on who Jesus is and what the Christian life is really about. Now we've looked at chapter 1, so let's go to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses today. 1 John chapter 2. I'll read the first two verses and I'm just going to comment on this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John's intention is clear. We, read on the, we looked at the first week. Who can remember why John wrote the letter? Who can remember? We looked at it the first week. Obviously, that one really went down a storm. <laughs> Instantly forgettable. It's in, it's in the text. There's a clue. It's in the book. <laughs> John says, it wasn't just a good idea I came up with. I'm writing these things, verse 4, so that our joy and your joy may be complete. Goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> There was Gnosticism around, yep. Don't see, you've got to show off in the corner. Second row. <laughs> Teacher's pet, yep. Okay, so we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. But look today, there's another thing, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. That's what, one of John's other intentions. It's a big deal to John that Christians don't sin. Now let's just look at this for a minute, because I think this is fascinating. If John is saying, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin, then it must be achievable. That's the logic. Otherwise, John is misleading the people. He's saying, I'm writing to you that you may not sin, but I know you're going to anyway. That doesn't make sense. So what is John teaching here? I think because we know we're imperfect, we can tend as Christians to dull down what God expects of us. Yeah, Because then, if we give in to temptation, it makes it more manageable. So if we say things like, well, I'm only human, God knows, God knew I was going to do it anyway. He knows all things, he knew I was going to do it. I'm only human. Or the Bible says God knows that we're just dust. And so we can kind of, um, if you like, we can prepare ourselves for failure. We can prepare ourselves for sinning. 
because then when we do, it's easier to manage than if we had a kind of a sense of, actually, I don't have to sin anymore. Because if you know that you don't have to, then when you do, you're faced with the reality that you did something that wasn't inevitable. Yeah? Do you understand what I'm saying there? It's quite a big deal. If you know that you've been released from the power of sin, and actually you don't need to sin anymore if you're a believer, if, you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've been born again, then actually when you do sin, it's not like, oh well, it's always going to happen. It was a sense of, man, I need to think this one through. Because it seems from the Bible that it's not necessarily inevitable that I'm going to sin. Because if you just say, well, of course I'm, I'm always going to sin, you know. I'm just, you know, it's going to be one long sin after another. If you have that kind of attitude, you're misunderstanding what God has made you. You're misunderstanding what he's transformed you from and into. You're born again. Now, when I was travelling to church today in the car, I was riding behind a bus, and there was a picture of a woman's backside being squeezed into some jeans, and it said next to it, I wasn't deliberately looking, it was just in front of me, and, uh, <laughs> and it said this, it said something like, um, it was to do with Camden Fitness First, and it was, uh, you know, the new you. The new you, you know, you can become the new you by going to Camden Fitness First. So I was trying to figure out this kind of doctrine I was reading of being born again you know, in front of me. I'm thinking, what, what's the deal here? So I'm thinking, well, actually, that woman probably wasn't actually the new her after doing fitness first. It's just that her bottom was smaller. Now, I, you know, I mean, that's admirable, but I, I wouldn't say that that makes you born again. Whereas what's being told here is this, it's going to be the new you. If you get down to, from a size 12 to a size 10, it's all going to be different. Yeah? It's going to be a different thing. Life's going to be different. You walk into the pub, you're breezing. Everyone will love you. And it's going to be a to You're going to not be what you were. But the reality is, is that you will be what you were. You're just fitting into different size clothes. Nothing's fundamentally changed. You understand? Whereas the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You're not what you were. You see, you're not. You're not what you... you before that, you were fundamentally sinful. Now you're fundamentally righteous. Not because of anything you've done or achieved, but because of a miracle of God where he has taken out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. You're not what you were. Yeah? And for those of you that are born again, you, you, you will know what I'm talking about. Whether the process was dramatic or whether there was a, a sense of it being more drawn out, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I used to stay up late at night watching dodgy videos. I got born again and suddenly found myself standing up at night writing in a pad, Jesus is the King. Now, what happened there? That doesn't make sense. That looks pretty weird. Something had happened where I was suddenly excited about Jesus. Yeah? I hadn't taken on a religion that I then, and now I have to stay up at night and write in a pad, Jesus is King. No, there was new life in me. You understand what I mean? I wrote to the video company and said, I, don't, I, I want to seize my membership um, because I've become born again. If you want to find out more about Jesus, here's my number. Yeah? But what, what was that? There was a new life inside. It wasn't, now you have to write to the video company. No, and it wasn't, it was like, whoa, I want to let people know. You see, you, you are not what you were if you are born again. The Bible says that the old you was crucified with Christ, you were buried with him through baptism, and you've been raised up to newness of life with him. Yeah? You're not what you were. So it's no longer inevitable that you just live a life of sin. When you were a sinner, of course, it's inevitable. But now you're righteous. And I think this is what John is getting at. So to aim low discredits God's work in your life and discredits who you truly are now. You, you, you're not walking in the light of actually what has happened. But how does this fit in with verse 8? 
chapter 1, verse 8, which says this. We looked at it last week. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Hold on a minute. John, what are you saying? Am I going to sin or am I not going to sin? What's being taught here? Let me teach you what's being taught. It's not contradictory. As a Christian, we acknowledge that we have indwelling sin. I experience desires and urges that I find shameful. Okay? As a believer, as a born-again believer with the Holy Spirit living in me, with a brand new heart, there are urges and desires from within still that I find embarrassing and shameful. It's called indwelling sin. Why? Because it refers to it as the flesh. Overcoming those urges is a very real battle. Yeah? It's not just let go and let God. There's a fight on to overcome those things. To say that you are free from that, if you're here and you're a believer, and you say, no, I don't have that. I never had bad thoughts. I don't have those urges. I want to look at you in the eye and tell you are in fantasy land. The truth is not in you. I don't say that of my own authority. John says it. Okay? We all have indwelling sin. But to say that we have to lose the battle is heresy and fantasy of a different order. You see the thing here. I have indwelling sin, but I don't need to lose the battle. I can win because of who I am now in Christ. So it's a very real battle, but I can win. Because if you're a believer, you're no longer sin's slave. You're no longer under its mastery. You are now Christ's slave. Yeah? You're no longer living just by fleshly instincts, but you're being led by the Holy Spirit. You're no longer under the law, which just arouses sin. I mean, the law, you know, it says, don't do that, and you think, whoa, I want to do that now. You're no longer under that. You're under grace, which empowers you to live for God. So you should expect to win against sin, realising that you will experience battles until you reach glory. You understand that? Yeah. All right. When I say in two weeks' time, what was that about? I expect you would say, yeah, it means this, it means this. Okay, because you're all listening. So what do you do? But what do you do when you lose the battle? Here's the question. When you give in to sin, when you give in to temptation, what do you do? How do you deal with it? This is a massive deal for a believer. How do you respond when you mess it up? Because we're taught here what to do. We're told we have a friend in heaven. Advocate. What a word, an advocate. You know what an advocate is? It's a legal term, isn't it? An advocate is one who speaks up for you on your behalf. Isn't it great being spoken up for? When someone speaks up for you. You like that feeling? You know, if you're in a disagreement with someone and saying, you said this, I didn't say that. You said this, I didn't say that. And suddenly a third party comes in and says, actually, they didn't say that. I was there. You think, yeah. Yeah? Nice feeling. Jesus is your advocate. When you sin and you're suddenly aware you've damaged your conscience, you're suddenly aware you've injured God's love, Jesus comes in and speaks before the Father on your behalf and says, they're all right. As we confess our sins. When we confess it, he comes in and he says, they're all right. It's a beautiful gospel. Jesus Christ the righteous is your advocate. He's good, isn't he? And not only does he speak up, but he's always heeded by the Father. Why? Because he is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Long word. What does it mean? Propitiation means this. It's a word which means that he took the wrath, and therefore, because he took it, he turned away the wrath of God from those he took it for. Okay? So that's what propitiation means. One who takes the wrath of God, of a, of a divine being, on behalf of others. So he's turned away God's wrath, so we are no longer under the wrath of God. Hallelujah! If you're born again, that is your position. It's an immovable thing. His punishment brought us peace. Praise God. Now, you might then say, oh, this seems a bit easy. So if I mess up, I could just play the Jesus card, and everything's all right. Yeah. 
So you're saying I can just do whatever I like and then just do the Jesus thing? It doesn't sound a little bit like those people who live however they please and then go to confession or do ten Hail Marys and then carry on. How does this work? Well, let's read on verses 3 and 4. John says, By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay? So, the person who says, that's great, I love this deal, if I confess my sins, I've got an advocate in heaven, he'll stick up for me, I'll do what I like, and then I say, Jesus, and I'm forgiven, great. No, no, John says this, this is how you know that you really have come to know him, if you keep his commandments. Obeying God's commandments is vital to the Christian life. But, there are two kinds of obedience. One is bad, and one is good. Let's look at this. You see, you might think, Steph, you're always given these kind of tensions. It's almost like a tightrope. This, but this. That's Christian doctrine. You're always walking a tightrope. Yeah? If you veer off one side, you're in the heresy. That's why you need spiritual understanding. And, and, and you've got to apply your mind if you're going to get it. Otherwise, you, you will. You'll be in fuzzy land and you won't work out. How am I supposed to relate to God? It's all in here. But it does take an engaged mind and a sense of, I want to get how this is. Because there's legalistic obedience and there's the obedience of faith. One is bad. One is great. Okay. Obedience of faith is an obedience that comes out of knowing that you are right with God. Hallelujah. I'm right with him when I wake up before I do anything else because I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm a brand new creation. I'm in. If you're a believer here today, say, I'm in. You're as in as you can ever be. All right? Not to do with your own efforts or anything of the sort, but because of what Christ has done for you. We do not live in an attempt to make things right with God by our own feeble efforts. We live with an awareness that I am right with God by Christ's mighty efforts. Yeah? Live with an awareness of what he has done. All that he has accomplished has all been granted to me as a gift so that the Father looks upon me as if I lived like Jesus did. I'm totally right with him. Out of that springs an obedience. Yeah? I want to I do your will, oh Lord. It's so much different from that slavish obedience, which is kind of like, oh Lord, if I oh, didn't pray enough, I know I'm in your bad books. And it's that, it's that is a total non-Christian mentality. It's a religious mentality. Christianity is very different from other religions in the sense that it rests on the fact that it's been done. <laughs> Can never get enough of it. But John is clear that your walk has got to line up with your talk. All right? There must be a matching up of the confession of your lips with the swinging of your hips. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> your talk and your... There must be some correlation between your talk and your walk. All right? Otherwise, otherwise John's saying, well, you're making it up. I would say this, that walking comes before talking in the Christian life. The talk is important, but the walk is more important. The walk without the talk is incomplete, The talk without the walk is insulting and deceptive. Truth is central to the Christian life. Not just a message of truth, not just that Jesus is the truth, but here's the deal, that we are true people. I want to ask you a question. Are you true? What I mean by that is, are you the real thing? Or are you into religious gamesmanship? You know, it's too easy. Especially if you've been around the scene for a while, you learn how to do it. You learn how to... Uh, you know, what, what, what's expected, if you like. I'll tell you what God expects. Transparency, authenticity, integrity. That's what he wants. Because of what Christ has done, we do not have to pretend in God's presence anymore. Yeah? It's a releasing thing. Are you true? 
John's saying you need to be true. No double life, no rotten motives, no deception. I tell you, give me an honest mess any day rather than a dishonest show. Yeah? I'm a lot happier with someone who says, I'm all messed up, and here's why. And I look at them and I think, yeah, I know what we've got here. <laughs> someone who's up front, rather than someone they've got all this little singing all dancing. You're thinking, oh, please, move on. Because that's not reality. It's not reality, you see. We don't have to get into that. Nothing religiously hypocritical. So here's where we're up to, guys, and we're going to do the final bit. We don't have to practice sin, but when we mess up, Christ speaks up for us on our behalf and he's always heard. The true Christian life can be seen by our earnest, faith-filled obedience to God's commands and our Christ-like character much more than anything we actually say. So finally, and most importantly, what is the command that we are to obey? Let's read verses 7 to 11. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Love. Obeying God is about love. Loving him with all your heart, loving your neighbour as yourself. But we need to explore this because I tell you, as a preacher, I would say every time I prepare a sermon there's a sense of God leading, absolutely. And then there are other times where you, you're studying stuff and you're thinking, this is brand new. Like for me, personally, I think, man. And I, I just feel these next few weeks we're going to get into some major stuff on this whole theme of love. Because we've looked in the last couple of weeks at these two different words for love. Who can remember the two words? Phileo and agape, very good. Two Greek words for love. New Testament's written in Greek originally, and there's two Greek words for love. One is phileo, one is agape. Let's look at phileo for a minute. It's where we get words like philanthropist. Phila, love or affection. Thropist, anthropology, human beings. It means you love people if you're a philanthropist. Okay, it's from the Greek. Or, what is the city of brotherly love in America? Philadelphia. Taken from the Greek. Phila, phileo, love, Delphi. Brother. Brotherly love, okay? Sorry, you Americans went a bit quiet there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. We still love you. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. Phileo, here's, here's, here's the deal, and this is very important. Phileo love is about human affection. It's about chemistry, okay? It's about, I find someone and there's a click. There's something in common, or I'm naturally warm to this particular person. There's something about them, it warms me to them, and so we become friends. Or I find certain qualities about them attractive. I find there's certain things, the way they, the way they do this, or the things they value, I think, yeah, that's like me, it, it attracts me. That is phileo, love. There's nothing wrong with it, it's good, but it falls way short of Christian love. It's a completely different thing to agape love. If you want to know how to shine in the world for Christ, if you want to know how to look different, especially around people that are really, really nice and seem so much nicer than you, it basically hangs on the difference between phileo and agape love. Now remember, where else outside of the Bible is the word agape used? Nowhere, exactly. It was a word that was made up for the Bible. 
Okay? There is no other literature around the time the Bible was written which has the word agape in it. They had to create a brand new word to give this thing a meaning because there was no word to express it. It is that unique. It is that um, transcendent. It is a completely new concept. And it came to light in the Gospel. I want you to grasp the measure of this. Listen to this quote by a scholar. Agape, which is the characteristic word of Christianity, and since the spirit of revelation has used it to express ideas previously unknown, inquiry into its use, whether in Greek literature or in the Old Testament Greek, throws but little light upon its distinctive meaning in the New Testament. Everyone's like, we've got this word in here, but we can't find it anywhere else. What does it mean? The only way you can come to terms with it is by getting to grips with the gospel, because that's what brought the word to pass. John 3.16 says what? God so agapeed the world that he gave his one and only son. Agape is what motivated the Father to give Jesus. What chemistry was there between us and God? None. Very, very zero. Okay? There was no chemistry between us and God. We were objects of wrath. What did God find attractive about us? What virtue did God see us in us that made us think, I've just got to have them? None. We were corrupt to the core. What did we have in common with God? Nothing. His desires are all good. Ours, on the other hand, we were consumed with the lusts of our flesh. That's what the Bible teaches. You think, phileo wouldn't have done too well. We wouldn't have got a gospel if it was just phileo love. You understand what I'm saying here? Salvation would not have existed. Something higher was needed. The nature of what motivated the Father to send his Son is so without parallel that they had to create a brand new word. Agape reaches out to enemies with goodwill. Agape, agape drives someone that has been hurt by someone to do them good after they've been hurt by that person. That's what agape does. Agape says, you have offended me, you have taken me for granted, you have kicked against me, you have rebelled against me, I'm going to do you good. It is a very, very transcendent concept. It's not a natural thing. This is why in the Gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples, listen to this. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that. They were the worst guys in those days. Oh, let's, let's make it, let's make it um, up to date. Don't even the parking wardens do that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I need some agape for those guys. Sorry if you are one. And if you, if you greet only your brothers, listen, if you greet, on, what more are you doing than other people? Don't even the Gentiles do that. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And here, perfect, the context is loving and greeting. Jesus is saying that to reflect the Father's love, we are to love those who do not love us back. We are to greet those who ignore us. This is challenging. This is challenging. I've made it my aim since studying this this week, as I walk down the street, to just try and greet everyone who's caught my eye. And you know what I've found? I've found that as people have responded and said, hello, mate, back, I thought, ah, this is nice. I like this agape business. <laughs> but then when you get it blanked, <coughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. You think, oh, I won't do that again. You think, oh, it's, it's agape. It's not fell out. You see, you see what I'm saying? The difference is huge. It sounds painful, this agape stuff. Well, if you want to catch God's heart, you need to be prepared to be let in on the most painful thing you've ever encountered. Because in God's heart, there is as much pain as there is joy. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. 
And if your main aim in life is pain avoidance, you will never come to Christ-likeness. Not that I'm into some kind of masochistic thing at all, but it's just a reality. That's just a reality. For God to agape us was costly. It will be costly for us. If you put yourself in the way of rejection, only a strong sense of God's love for you in your heart will equip you to be able to cope with it. There's nothing virtuous found in the person who receives agape treatment. It is indiscriminate. It's unconditional. So to have 20 reasons, some people say, I just can't love this person, Steph. Here's why. So they say, this person in the church is really bugging me, Steph. Look, I can't love them. Here's why. 20 reasons. I say, well, there's 20 reasons why you can't phileo them. Absolutely. No problem. I haven't got... But you can agape them. It's a different thing. You understand? It's a totally different thing. We're being, we're being brought face to face with something transcendent, something which comes from God. Their lack of virtue is irrelevant. To, now, let me just say this as a quick proviso. To agape someone does not mean you throw out all wisdom and discernment. For example, you might want to show agape to someone with a history of paedophilia. Fine. But don't leave them alone with your children. Yeah? Just giving you a very vivid illustration of the fact. You agape someone, you look to do them good. But it doesn't mean you just throw out all wisdom and discernment. Do you know what I mean? You're aware of other things. But you, you look to do people good, regardless. Regardless. It's a challenge. There's this geezer right, around our old area. And, uh, oh, just weird. He stands outside his house, and when you walk along with kids, he doesn't catch your eye at all, but from 100 metres, he's locked onto the kids. Yeah. And he's, and he's the whole time trying to engage him, engage him, engage him, engage him, doing funny, weird, silly stuff. And you're, you're trying to get, you're, get, <laughs> get the eye contact because you're thinking, what are you doing? Weird. And there came a point where it built up and it built up and thought, I've got to have a word with this guy. Because one time he would come back from shopping and he'd come over the road and there's this all weird look in his face and he started doing weird things with the kids. And I'm just thinking, what the heck do I do? You know, I want to punch you, but, you know, not only am I a believer, I'm a pastor. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, but I do, I want to punch you. Um, so what do I do? And uh, so I'm looking at Daisy. At this point, she just starts crying. And I, and I find, because I'm thinking, am I, not, am I being horrible? I said to the, I said, Daisy, I said, why'd you do She said, he did the same thing outside my playground. So they were in a playground playing in the school. He stood outside the fence doing weird stuff. I thought, man, this guy's really... So I said, I'm going, I'm going around his house. So I went around his house. Looked on the door. Opened the door. And uh, I punched him. I didn't really. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, mate, I said... I said, look, I said, mate, I said, I'm not happy with the way you're looking at my kids. He said, oh, aren't you? I said, no, I'm really not happy with it. I said, you need to stop. And, um, and then he started saying, well, you know, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I said, no, you're upsetting him, da 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 um, Oh, no, no, when he made days of quiet, I challenged him then, and he totally blanked it and walked off. So I went back around his ass, and I said, look, here's the deal, blah, 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 blah. As I'm doing it, he starts connecting with Levi. As I'm doing it. I got right up close to him. And it's the flesh and against the spirit. At that point, it really is. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking, how dare you? What he was doing was inappropriate. But I was very, very aware that in God, I had no right to do what my flesh... Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The battle was very, very real. And as, as, as I'm up there close, I said to him, I said, mate, I'm not threatening you. I'm not going to hit you because I'm a Christian. I thought, if I say it loud enough, I'll believe myself. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but I just thought, oh, and you get people like that. 
You will come across, you will work with people like that, you will live near people like that, you will bump into people like that, and everything in your phileometer goes to zero. Okay? But there is, a, there is a, 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 a gospel obligation on us, in God, to agape that person. Because it, if I had clocked this guy, if I'd really hit him, it actually would not have done him any good, on any level. On any level. He would still have had the same issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there is this thing, it's a real thing, but we've got we've to we've grasp it. So what does it mean for us as a church? Well, if we want to be a supernatural community, which we do, amen? Not just a religious institution, but a supernatural community. We must become an agape community. There's no way around it. And it has huge knock-ons for the quality of life we'll experience as a church, as well as the evangelistic breakthrough we'll come into. Because Jesus said the world would only finally get the fact that we are the real thing when we love each other. The word there, agape, not phileo. It's not, if you get on really well together and have a great chemistry, then the world will know. No, 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 it, the word was agape. It's a different thing. Okay? Friends that don't know the Lord, they will see agape down, um, they will see phileo down the pub, they'll see phileo at the social club, they will find it at the football stadium. But that agape, that unconditional, indiscriminate goodwill demonstrated to everyone that crosses our path and everyone, regardless of where they're at, that will cause a watching world to turn its head and say, this is the real thing. Yeah? We've got to be, this is a serious thing. So where do we start? Well, as with all things, we take what we've got and we use it to express agape. If you've got a home, make it an agape base. Yeah? Don't just invite around those who are like you. Mix it up. Mix it up, mix it up, mix it up. God will manifest his presence in that kind of an environment. If you've got neighbours and colleagues and enemies, find ways to express agape to them. Yeah? Be proactive and creative in this. As we do so, we will break cultural strongholds of individualism, of busyness, of tit-for-tat, and we'll begin to have victories in spiritual warfare. Get tough, prepare for pain. All right? Don't be a wuss in the spirit. Don't do it, okay? Say, prepare yourself, steal yourself. Sometimes you're going to be rejected. Okay, take it on the chin. Okay, we're not here to... We're not here to just kind of be loved by everyone. We're here to love the Lord. Make Christ-likeness your goal. Make that your aim. Give without thought to what you'll get back. Confident that just as Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. We'll put running over. Will be put into your lap. Finally, John suggests here in a very strong way that if we walk in love, we will be able to see where we're going. He makes that very clear. There is no true spiritual discernment and direction without living agape style. We sometimes get worked up about hearing God. One of the most frequent complaints of believers is, I can't hear God, I can't get direction. Well, from this epistle, we see the best thing that we can do for clarity spiritually is to begin to live a life of agape. Copy God. And increasingly, you'll see clearer and clearer. So as we learn together, we're all learning God will help us, and the light will begin to shine brightly, yeah? Nations will turn their heads, I believe it. And authenticity will once again be the thing that marks out God's people. The walk will match the talk, and the lonely will find the family that they need, and broken hearts will be bound up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you agapeed us. If you hadn't agapeed us, we would be lost. If you hadn't agapeed us, we would be hell-bound. 
we would not be born again. The peace that we enjoy, Lord, the fellowship with you, we would have none of it, Lord. We would have been separated from you still, cut off, but you agapied us. You did us good, Lord. You did us good even when we were rebelling against you. You sought us out and you won our hearts. Hallelujah. Lord, what a wonderful thing. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church. Help me, Lord. I recognise the responsibility, Lord, in terms of just helping to lead the church, the responsibility in terms of really getting this. I pray, God, teach us it by your spirit, that we would aim for the things that are transcendent and high. Lord God, that we wouldn't just live natural lives, but our lives would shine with a different brilliance, Lord, because we are being empowered by your spirit. So I pray, oh God, let us know the agape love of God breaking out on us again and again and again. I pray, Lord God, help us in it. Teach us, teach us in it, Lord God, that we would be those who live for the smile of God. And so because of that, we're able to handle, Lord God, if people don't smile back or say hello back. It won't be the be all and end all, Lord, but your smile would be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us an agape community. And I pray you'd help us to do the things we need to do, Lord God, in terms of resolving our will, setting our course, and then leaning on you entirely for the power to do it. So be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.